When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to the World of Work podcast, brought to you by the Aggie Evo System, UC Davis Athletics' one-of-a-kind initiative that focuses on preparing student-athletes for a successful launch into life after graduation. Happy Thursday, Aggie Evo fans. If it's Thursday night, it must be time for the World of Work podcast, our effort to help student-athletes better know and navigate the world of work by connecting them to some Aggie greats, folks out in the real world doing real-world things. Today is a special edition that I'm really excited about, about the Thursday World of Work podcast. We are at the end of a long but fascinating day of the first ever Aggie Evo virtual road trip because your Aggie staff, primarily Liz Martin and Abby Mariani, put together an extraordinary virtual road trip which I think will live on the website forever. And you can go and see some really cool stuff. My day started watching Dr. Kincaid take us through cardiothoracic surgery and literally take us into the operating room, which I thought was pretty fun. What we're moving into now is a live Q&A panel. So we're very fortunate to have a number of folks from a bunch of different fields. And we're gonna ask them a little bit about their stories, how they got to where they were, some of their connection to UC Davis. And our hope is that you learn a little bit more about a variety of jobs create some connections, and then also maybe reach out to those folks and start doing some of your own networking along with them. Student athletes, if you're here, if you're listening along, you may enter the conversation at any time. I would ask that you raise your little blue hand and Abby is gonna bring you into the conversation, or you can put a question in the chat 
And I'm going to ask Abby to also watch out for that and interrupt me if anybody is feeling a little bit bashful and wants to get into the chat. If you're in the waiting room, be patient. Abby will let you in as soon as she gets there and we will start the conversation. All right. I first want to start with introducing you each, and that will give you the opportunity to also get to know each other a little bit, because I don't think our alums know each other particularly well. I'm going to also hope and pray that Zoom does not rearrange my screen as we're doing this, or I'm going to completely lose my sense of where we are. So starting in my upper left, Kate Carlton, it's nice to see you. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so um, my name's Kate, and I um, went to UC Davis and got a bachelor's of science in psychology. Um, during that time, I took an anatomy class and thought the body and how it worked was really cool. So after I graduated, I decided I was going to go to nursing school, um, went to Sac State. Um, after that, took a job at Sutter Roseville and um, in the emergency department, worked there for nine years. And then uh, the last six years, I've been working for the um, trauma program and I do clinical quality and education. Um, and I've been working with them ever since. Awesome. That is a perfect short intro. And did you say you played volleyball for us? Oh, right. Yeah, I played volleyball for you guys. <laughs> Let's not leave out the athlete identity right. and your yeah. position as a volleyballer. Say that again. What position? Setter, outside hitter, middle blocker? Yeah, so I played libero and then outside and transition between the two. Nice. Thanks for that. Well, nice to meet you, Kate Carlton. Derek Gray, you're up next. Yeah, I'm Derek Gray. I, uh, I pitched on the baseball team uh, and graduated in 1991 with a uh, double in economics and communications. Um, after that, my route took me through accounting, which is an interesting story because I never had any accounting classes, um, but then into consulting. Uh, I got an MBA at Berkeley, um, worked for some internet startups, and then I've been at Warner Brothers in uh, Burbank, California for the last 19 years now, um, and I, uh, I oversee our uh, business development and strategy our home entertainment group for the licensing of our movies and television content out to digital partners like Amazon and Google and iTunes and so forth. Excellent. And your position on the baseball field? I was a pitcher. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's correlation between certain positions and certain career fields <laughs> or success. And that does not surprise me. I don't know anything about baseball that you are a pitcher. All right, Frank, you're up. Hi, um, I'm Frank Pignami. I played baseball at Davis. I too was a pitcher. I graduated in 97. Um, I kind of took the long way around. I am currently a teacher and have been for the last 16 years. This is year 17. Um, I started a little different. Uh, the Aggie family took care of me and sent me to Europe to play for a couple of years. And that was fun. I played Spain, uh, played ball in Spain for two years. Um, traveled around and figured out that wasn't for me. Took a little different route into finance. Um, spent four years there. Realized that wasn't for me either. I went back to school and got my teaching credential and started teaching PE about 16 years ago. Um, I teach activities. I teach AVID. I've taught a few different other classes, but right now I'm currently just teaching AVID and PE. And for those of us that are not computer literate, AVID is, I think I know what it is, but. AVID is, um, it's a class for first generation college goers. Um, so it's a, for me, teaching PE is great. I, I don't mind it. I, I was a baseball coach and a football coach as well. Um, I have three kids, and they've gotten a little bit older and asked that if I would start coaching them. So I stopped coaching at the high school so I could coach my own kids. And it was a way that I could connect to students like myself. It wasn't for my coaches. I would have never ended up at Davis. I would have never ended up overseas. I would have never been able to do any of that. 
So going back to coach was a way I could give back. And when I stopped coaching, I started to get into things like activities director, which allowed me to connect to students and avid, which was, I was a first generation college kid too, as well. I never, nobody in my family had ever gone to college. And so being able to connect to those kids and try to help them and let them know that, you know, there is a way to go about it and, you know, you can make it as well. That's an awesome story. For those that don't know, I last I heard somewhere between 40 and 45% of UC Davis undergraduates are what we call pioneer students, the first of their families to go to college. So thanks for that, Frank. Kim Newland, tell us about you. The short All right. I'm Kim Newlin, and um, I guess I'm your third Sutter representative with Bob Kincaid this morning, and then Kate, who actually works two levels down from me. We never see each other, so it was really nice to actually see her tonight. You I know. know each other? Yeah, oh. we do. Yes. Um, so I am older, though, um, but I, <laughs> I graduated in 96, I know, uh, with a, a degree in exercise physiology and a minor in psychology. I had been pre-med full-time, and I ended up in um, so I played soccer. I was center midfielder, so I don't know if you can keep going with your study, Mike, on, on what that means. Controlling OCD, I'm not sure that might be alignment no. with that. Um, I'm currently, currently director of clinical nursing operations and special projects. I think last time we talked, I was director of cardiovascular services. So did nursing, went back, got a, a, a master's for a nurse practitioner, and I've probably done about 18 different jobs in nursing, all helping patients, which I love because, again, I'm OCD, but maybe ADD, and so I like to do lots of different things, and um, nursing has really given me that opportunity. So you have all the Ds. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wait, was 96 the Brandy Chastain year? Am I getting that right in soccer? Yes. All right. Yes. See, I, I know a few things about women's soccer. That's that's helpful. All Very right. Good. Last but not least, our last guest to introduce herself, Gina. You and I have never met, but it's nice to meet you. Gina, you're muted. I'm so sorry about that. How, how is everybody doing tonight? <laughs> Great. Good to see you. Tell us about you. Yes. Okay. And yes, we have never met before, but my name is Gina Richardson, and I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. I've only been out here in California for about five years, and I am your Safe Credit Union representative representing tonight. And so I started off school at Illinois State University. I took the non-traditional route. I was one of those who got married, went to schools along the way, and then I had to finish up at University of Phoenix. And so it's been a journey for me, but I am currently a certified financial educator, and I've been in this field, in the financial field, for the last 14 years of my life. My degree is in human resource management. I don't utilize that right now, but <laughs> like some people, um, but I do use it just a little bit with the human contact that I come into and it helps me with knowing how to understand people. And so in my daily job, I'm all over. I do now webinars for everyone regarding financial topics. And so I'm at UC Davis or say I'm at Sac State um, and I've done lots for the athletes before. I'm at SMUD or Kaiser or Sutter, all of the, the top companies that you can think about, Intel, all of those places, I'm there doing webinars talking about financial topics just because everything we do in life revolves around money. And I'm so happy that I get a chance to do that just because I not only learned these things in my own life, I've seen it in my 14 years experience and then just I just absolutely love helping people. So that's a little bit about me. 
Cool. Thanks for saying that. So, uh, for those that don't know, Safe Union is a uh, Safe Credit Union is a valuable partner of ours. And Gina was kind enough to come on and represent and talk a little bit about the business and banking world. So we're, we're thankful for that. All right, time to get into the questions. And I'm going to um, sort of move around. And I know popcorn and Zoom world is sort of awkward. And I don't want to do the standard everybody answer the same question thing. So I'm going to try to be a little bit specific. And I'm going to start with Derek because you're almost as old as I am. So I know both of us are fading as the day goes on here. Um, Warner Brothers, the last time you and I talked, I thought this was fascinating. And you were, you've had a long run in the entertainment industry. Tell us a little bit about what your gig is um, specifically and what you love about it. So uh, the team I oversee, uh, we're responsible for all the new business development, content licensing. Uh, so what does that mean? So um, any Warner Brothers movie or television show, uh, if you wanted to transact, either rent it or buy it digitally, um, either on your phone through iTunes or through Amazon Prime or Google. Um, we're actually, my team are the business leads and we have a, lawyers who work with us. We'll negotiate those contracts with the Apples and Googles of the world. So, um, you know, they've got kind of how they want to do it. It's our content. We dictate pricing, usage rules, you know, how you can use the content, how you can't. Um, so we'll do that outbound licensing and then any new business development any ways we can monetize our content. So uh, we've done some virtual reality stuff around our content. And at Warner Brothers, we, uh, we own all the Justice League IP, uh, intellectual property, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, um, New Line Cinema is ours. So, you know, how do you monetize that? Through clips, we have clip deals where you can go watch our clips on YouTube and we advertise and, and monetize it through advertising. Um, if you, if we bundle our content sometimes. So if you buy a Samsung phone and you get a movie with it, like doing those kind of deals. So that's kind of what we do. Um, we do that on a global basis. So, you know, those partners I mentioned are all global partners, but then there's a lot of local partners, you know, Sky in the UK and Deutsche Telekom in Germany and Orange in France. So there's people overseas who do that work, but they kind of will come back through my group before they sign deals to make sure that you're not doing a deal that upsets the other deals that we have in the market. Um, you know, why I like it? Because, I mean, I, I mean, I like the product I'm dealing with. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, having been a rhetoric and communications is one of my majors, you know, like I, I just, I guess I enjoy persuasion. I enjoy the negotiation, preparing for it. How do we get what we want? How do I, how do I do it in a way that helps both of us? So it's not just a, a zero sum negotiation, but doing it in a way that they feel good because we're partners at the end of the day, they're selling our content. We're sharing the revenue on that. And, and that's kind of what we do. And then the final thing is just from a new business standpoint, anything new technologically that's coming out around content, I'm getting visibility to it. So if there's anybody that wants to do something in the movie space, they're going to come to Warner Brothers and try to get our content because our content helps drive what their business model is trying to do. And that's, that's interesting as well. So COVID is disrupting everybody. Your business is being disrupted as much as anybody else. Post-COVID world, what's the biggest change that's going to happen to entertainment, do you think, as an industry, if I wanted to work in it? Um, well, I mean, the biggest thing that's happening now is theaters are closed. So you see all this, you know, playing around with windows. And, you know, we released the movie Scoob direct to digital. We, we skipped the theaters when we did that 
Um, we just released the movie Witches in the UK and Italy and Ireland. Um, actually, that comes out in four days. Um, and so in those markets, it's going to be sold digitally. In some markets, it's going to go theatrical. And in the US, it's going to go straight to HBO Max. So these SVOD plays, right? I'm sure everybody on here knows Netflix. Yep. And then now there's Disney Plus and there's Peacock, which is Universal's product. So HBO Max is the Warner Brothers, right? So AT&T owns Warner Brothers, HBO, and Turner. So that's our internal product. So from a content standpoint, it's like, are people going to theaters? I mean, you know, the young people on this, on this Zoom call, how are they going to consume content? And part of our job is to figure out how do they want to consume it and how do we get it to them in the way they want? So maybe it's not going to a theater, maybe it's on their phone. So do we put it on phones earlier than we have in the past? Um, so that scares me as a guy that loves it. the movies. I'm afraid if I don't pay 25 bucks to go to the movies anymore, you're not going to make $200 million movies. Everything's going to be small scale, but that's another conversation. Thanks for that, Derek. Yeah. Um, next thing top of my mind is healthcare. First, Kim and Kate, are you guys okay? Like you have to be super stressed. The entire brunt of the world is on the shoulders of healthcare right now. How are you holding up? I, you know, it's uh, I think anytime you're in a situation like this in healthcare, I think you just have to learn to roll with what is coming and adapt to change. And I think that that is one of the things that um, keeps us as healthcare providers somewhat sane during a period like this, because we do have to adapt to change and we have to be able to identify when it's how it's coming, how are we gonna benefit patients, how are we gonna care for them? Um, and not only that, but also care for ourselves and our staff. So um, I, I think that right now staff for the most part, and Kim, you probably chime in on this, is that we, we're learning to adapt really well. Yeah, I mean, those people who weren't open to change have really been forced into it, kind of whether they liked it or not. Um, I feel like every day I wake up in like a super high state of readiness just because, because we don't know what's coming. I think fortunately in Placer County, we've seen a decrease in cases. Um, but I think that the pace at which healthcare has changed in the last six months on every level is just forcing, you know, clinical trials. Like how do we do clinical trials different to get us the research to, to, to create the evidence for how we provide care is different. Um, and it may reduce some of the barriers that were really there that took so long for a new drug to come to market or a vaccine. Um, but the day-to-day -day is just, I think, just reinforcing, we have, I think, 1,400 nurses at our hospital. We are growing. We're one of the communities that's growing um, in all of California. It's like the fastest growing. So how do we get every, how do you get information to everybody? So maybe Derek has some good information on, on how you digitally create information to get stuff out and education and, and a place where people watch it. And, you know, we have all these new generation nurses who come in and they're only used to computer and online modules. So we're trying to convert some of our education into um, recorded Zoom meetings so people can access it at all time, which we've just never really done well in the past. So um, fun to change, but stressful at the same time. So a volleyball player, soccer player, would you say that learning adaptability and resilience in your sports has helped you deal with all this craziness? Absolutely. Yeah. So that is a thing that student athletes should get comfortable marketing about themselves is that they can demonstrate adaptability, resilience in the craziest of times. I think that's true. I mean, in, um, in the position when I was in the ER, we used to interview and or I used to be on interview panels. And that was always one of the things that we looked for is like in talking to somebody, how well they could adapt and yeah. how well they worked with teams and how well they 
took feedback and took that feedback and made change. And um, I do think that that is something that comes that you learn and you have to learn when you're on a team. Yeah, definitely. And I always encourage people if, and you probably already advise them on this, but just make sure you put that on your resume that you were a college athlete because that in itself tells us a ton. Um, so one of my interview questions I always ask is, What's not on your resume that tells me that you should be the person I hire? So whether it's something they do in their volunteer activity that maybe they didn't think to add to it. So you have to be mindful in how much you add, but I would always put that on because for me, at least, that's, that's sometimes the tipping point for who I'll want to interview. Thank you for that. I did not pay Kim to say that, but that is, in fact, a drum I beat every day to try to convince student athletes that it's not an activity. It's not knitting or walks on the beach that you put at the bottom. It is a piece of leadership development that says who you are and being a student athlete signals a lot of things to employers about you, especially if they were student athletes too. Speaking of which, Frank, education, you're a physical educator. How do you do that in virtual world? Um, it's, it's tough, I'm not gonna lie. It's changed a lot. It's, it's gone to um, more of the history of things. A lot more health has been put into PE trying to teach about you know, the health components of proteins, fats, carbohydrates, trying to teach them anything that will stick actually. And trying to teach them the accountability of actually being active is, is super tough. You obviously can't see 50. I have right now I average about 53 kids in each class. Wow. So I think 53 kids on a monitor is just not going to happen. So for me, monitoring whether they're doing it or not, isn't going to happen. So we've kind of changed and went to a little bit more social emotional, trying to make sure that no, they can come to me. I teach Abbott, so I can tutor them in geometry, algebra, anything else like that that they want to be tutoring. Just kind of let them know that as a PE teacher, I can also help them with anything else that they want. But PE, it's it's nowhere near what it used to be to where we walk out, you you run a couple laps, we go play a sport, we have a good time. I get paid to work out with my kids the way I was. I'm a professional athlete, not, not, not in the best shape anymore, but still, still getting paid to play. But it's a little different. It's definitely changed. It's it's tough to, to monitor 53 kids. I mean, if I have my avid kids, I'm only touring my avid class is 25 kids. It's much easier to make a connection with those 25 and be able to have one offs in the one hour that I get them to where I have 50 kids trying to manage just the ability to learn their names and try to catch their face if they want to put, you know, because here everyone wants to, you can see everybody's face. Everyone's okay with that. My high school kids don't want their faces up. Some of them live in places that, they don't want their backgrounds up. They don't want their where they where they live up. So trying to make sure that we're understanding of everything they're going in, it, it's it's a big deal right now. Just trying to make sure your understanding is, is probably the biggest thing. I said it's changed of everything they do. You made a really interesting point, I thought, in your video when you talked about you had coached before and somebody convinced you that getting a high school teaching credential, I th I think this was your interview, was a good thing to do because if you get lose a coaching job, um, you can always teach high school and the two things pair together well. We have a lot of student athletes that want to be coaches, uh, particularly in football, and this class is heavily football. What, what would your advice be in terms of, yeah, I want to coach. There aren't that many full-time coaching gigs. Is yeah. teaching along with that a good idea? Absolutely. Teaching, it's, it's becoming, it's, it's tough to find on-campus coaches. I would, I would highly tell you that if you're going to teach, one of the big things I would tell you is get your master's out of the way immediately get that done um you know your your 45 year old self will thank your 20 something self for getting that done without having to go back and do it it's, it's a huge deal not to mention financially the the pay increase for having your master's as teaching is a huge jump for you 
So if you're at that point, and especially if you can't find a teaching job, jump back in and get your master's right away and get that done. That's a huge part. Um, and also, I mean, it, it sounds really weird, but try to find a field like math and science is a huge deal. You can always find a job as a math science teacher, but PE job, no one ever leaves PE. I got news for you, man. That's where we go and we stay. It's, it's a, it's a good gig. You know, it's same with, they tell you social studies teachers. Those are, those are hard jobs to get. So if you can find one, you know, I say go for it. But if you, if you get to that point and you're coaching and there's no jobs available, go back and get your master's, you know, and if you do find a job, jump in, get that job and get your master's at the same time, your life will be crazy, but you'll be thankful for it. There is a, there's a huge part of making sure that you can teach and coach. Not to mention, I will say this, the biggest part of being on campus with your student athlete is a huge deal. Having, having ability to have access to them through the course of the day. I mean, as I can't tell you how many times I popped in and sat in a kid's classroom where I got a note from a teacher that said, hey, so-and-so's got a problem with, you know, being still or not. So just my presence being in that classroom, knowing that I know that teacher and that maybe I'm friends with that teacher makes a difference in your students' lives. It makes, it makes all the difference in the world if you can actually become a teacher and, and coach. Sure. Thanks for that. Gina, I, I got a question for you that's sort of related to Frank's story. One of our priorities is helping student athletes to build generational wealth because so many of our folks are first generation and they don't benefit from any sort of transition of generational wealth, um, which resonates with me as well. But if there were two important financial lessons that undergraduates should have as they are going through college and getting ready for life after graduation, what two things would you highlight? Say this, just because... I'm one of those people, I'm from the hood of Chicago. And so lots of people, they think that when they come from these areas and then when they go into school, like you said, for first generational, they don't know exactly what to do because money was taboo in our households. And so the one thing would be, of course, I'm hoping that everyone is in, going into a field that they would like to go into. They know what the money-making ability in that field is gonna be, but you have to have a budget. You have to understand how much money you're going to be bringing in and also understand what the debts are that you're creating, the lifestyle that you're trying to go after, if it's expensive, if that lifestyle is going to be very expensive, if you're in one of those fields where you know the max, the, the income ability is not going to be high, you know you're going to be putting yourself um, under. You're at a risk of living paycheck to paycheck and being back in one of those scenarios where you could be financially vulnerable. So you have to make sure that you're watching, you know, whatever that field you're going to go in, making sure that you're making the you're you're making the money, but you create some type of budgeting system for yourself and you don't get into a rhythm of living over your means. You want to live underneath your means at all times cuz just like the pandemic happened, now we I know we've never seen anything like this. Things are always happening happening and we've all been grown enough to know it's not if it's when so living underneath your means whenever you get out of school and not trying to acquire so much so quickly that's a really good point it ties back to actually one of our first lessons in this course which was about values and that is yeah. a thing that we want every student athlete to wrestle with is what's important to you my first job out of business school i made a lot of money because i thought that's what i wanted and i think right. everybody should have a chance to do that but right. then if you find out that's not enough for you. It's okay to take a job that doesn't make much money if you decide that meaning and impact matter more. So those are really important things for us to wrestle with right now. Can I okay, say I want something to... now? Yes, I please. Think, yeah, because uh, a lot of people don't understand. I tell people to pull your bank statements all the time so you can see where your values and your priorities are just because our spending habits is what takes away most of the money that we have. 
And so if we're ever trying to acquire something, and like you said, you can get into that high price. Um, I have uh, friends right now, engineers, they're in the medical field, but what they do have is a lot of student debt. They can't purchase homes. I'm an older millennial, so I know that some of these fields they get into, and although they thought they were going to like it, they don't like it, but all, they also have a lot of debt. So just understanding that, you know, and I, like I said, you may want to be um, in working for a nonprofit somewhere because that's your passion and that makes you feel good. But just understanding what is the income level of that job, but just making sure that you're, you're keeping up with how you're living. If you're living over your means and just trying to stay underneath those means. That's great advice. So mm -hmm. I want to take a quick break and see if anybody has any questions. So to review for those that are just joining the call or joined, we have representatives from the fields of high school education, health education, nursing, Warner Brothers, entertainment, um, and banking. So any questions from any student athlete about any of those fields or the specific individual stories. We also have a base, baseball players, volleyball player, football player, soccer players, so a variety of sports represented. Ready, set, ask questions. Abby, I should have had you get the uh, Jeopardy background music so I could do, 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 do. Michael, this is my life right here. I ask questions every day and my students say nothing. I talk to a screen all day. This is the joy of Zoom, Frank. Somebody did ask me earlier, is this harder? And, and as a teacher, because that's my primary identity, yeah, super hard. Because I'm trying to be energetic enough to get people in screens this big who are really tired to respond to something. So I, I feel that, Frank. I share your pain. Michael, can I say something to that? Because this is my life. I'm on Zoom all the time. And But the thing I'll say about my field is because everything revolves around money, my classes have increased because everyone's trying to find something out regarding whatever the topic is. But what I found is I sit there, I let the silence go until someone says something. And then once one person asks a question, many people follow with their questions. Julian, go uh, ahead. That's for Gina. What do you think is something smart like that we should be doing now with either the money that we're gonna get or like the money that we have, whether it's like saving or something like that? I would say just developing a system of learning how to budget your money, even while you're, oops, am I on mute? Okay, even while you're in school, you know, when. When I was in school, it was a big thing when people would receive um, their grant money back or their scholarship money, they would blow it off. They would just go out and buy things that don't even matter. This pandemic has shown us, do I really need the new Jordans? Do I really need to get every single PS2, um, not PS2, a PlayStation game or Xbox game or all of those things? You really need to be mindful of the amount of money that you have just because you're going to be providing that living that either your parents were providing for you previous to this or whomever is providing for you. So you want to make sure that you know what the cost of living looks like because we're here. I'm not from California. It's super expensive here and it's hard being an, an adult. And so you want to make sure you're developing some type of what is a budget? How do I manage the money that I currently have? Because if you can't manage $2, you can't manage $200,000. So you want to make sure that you are putting something in place where you're understanding what those fundamental values are going to be in your money and your financial situation. So I would say just finding, I mean, and I can send you some things as well, just figuring out what is a budget? What does that look like? What is credit? Because you're going to, if you decide that you want anything in life that you're not going to pay cash for, say a car, say a house, all of those types of things, you're going to have to understand 
budgeting and also understand credit. So that way, when you acquire debt, you know how to pay those things down. Great advice. Other student questions before I keep babbling on. And thank you for your question. <laughs> that was a great question. Okay. So uh, do you have, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And do you have any tips on like ways to build credit or like to start building our credit? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, so we have a product at SAFE that's called the Savings Builder Loan. So for those of us, like I said, I'm an older millennial, but I've been in the banking field for, it feels like since I was a, since I was a baby. But we have something called a Savings Builder Loan. And so what it is, is you're building a savings account. So say you want to, say it's $1,000. And so you divide a thousand by 12 and you're making deposits into a savings account, but those deposits are being recorded and they're being uh, rep reported out to the three major credit bureaus where it's building your credit. And so these loans are normally just one year, they're either one to two years and it's the safest product because it's not really a loan, it's a savings account. So you're building your credit up while you're also building a savings account at the same time. Now, back in the day, we used to recommend for students to get like a secured credit card, but you don't have to do those things anymore because they have products where you could do two things at once, which is build that savings account and start your credit at the same time. So that's the product that I like to always recommend. Also, anyone who has a student loan already, you're already building your credit. You just don't know it because as that product is sitting there, it's just reporting since it's in um, deferment status while you're in school is reporting paid as agreed already. So that savings builder loan product, that's what I would recommend. Great question, Mario, thanks for that. All right, Thank quick you. popcorn round for healthcare, entertainment, education. COVID, post-COVID economy is gonna be different. Give me your answer of what your field broadly looks like. Do you think number one, it's been resilient through COVID and economic depression and will there be opportunity on the other side of this? Um, let's go Derek first. Yeah, I mean, you know, we started seeing trends even before COVID. So from our perspective, we've like COVID is just accelerating trends in the industry, right? And those trends are cord cutters, right? There's probably a bunch of cord nevers on here who've never like, you know, we, and I'm guessing me and the other panelists all had cable when we were in college. <laughs> Nobody has cable anymore, right? Like I have a son and in college. That was pre-cable, but yeah. Yeah. And so um, so just that, that race of like, as direct TV and the cable kind of pulls down, you're going to see a lot more people moving to these SVOD services and HBO max. And that's where we're kind of pivoting our resources and our strategy to drive that so that, um, you know, we're again, getting content to where the consumer wants to consume it as, uh, you know, these smart devices are in the hands of all these people. Entertainment's not going away. People are always going to want to want entertainment in some way. It's a question of how it's distributed, I guess and how it's created. Yep. All right, um, Frank, education. Resilient now and gonna be okay after post-COVID world? Well, I think education is not really going anywhere. Um, but I think there'll be a few more online opportunities. I think some kids are starting to strive under that. Some of the kids that don't really like going, but I also do believe that you're gonna end up with a, a public or a in-person class where the teachers will be way more tech savvy because we'll have way more tools under our belt than we did before. You know, you'll have a lot more teachers who are way more understanding, I think, of maybe social economic problems that they may not have been aware of that hit before, you know, understanding that your students may not all come from the background that you did, 
understanding that they may be having issues at home that you maybe never understood or even took into consideration. You may have teachers who are just more understanding, which is never a bad thing. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's a real good thing, especially for some of the older teachers like me um, who are older who may have been you know, 20, gosh, 28 years away from being in high school. Um, so, you know, understanding those kids is always a good thing. I think we're all getting a better understanding of, of what they're going through, what they're dealing with. But I think you're also going to get a better understanding from parents of what teachers deal with on a daily basis because you see it. And if you if you're a parent, you've heard the teacher on the Zoom. Can can I have all eyes on me? Can you stop playing with the cat? Can you stop playing with the dog? Can you can you hear that over and over again? I hear it with my kids, my three kids. And so I can only imagine the parents that are hearing that from teachers who are just trying to do their best to teach. And I think you're probably going to get a better understanding from everybody. Hopefully that's what will come out of it. I think early in COVID, there was some sense that, oh, everybody's going to homeschool. We don't need teachers anymore. And then after about a week, every parent believed teachers should be paid way more money than they're being paid. So we're not going to keep homeschool and we're going to send the kids back to you as soon as possible is the sense I get. Let's hope. I, I, I miss seeing my kids. I miss the interaction with my kids. I, I have a, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody gets into teaching because you hate kids or you hate being around students. I think you get into it because you have a passion to help people and help students. That's kind of why it, you know, it drives me. So being at home is, is, is tough for teachers like me who thrive on interactions with your kids every day, finding out what they did on the weekend, finding out how their nights were, finding out, you know, things about them that make them tick to hopefully, you know, make them succeed at a different level. Yeah. And of course, healthcare, my nurse friends, I personally hope the industry is completely transformed in the next five years because we do a horrible job of caring for humans in this country, the current system. Do you think it's going to get significantly disrupted as a result of this revelation that we're horrible at public health in this country? Or are we going to retrench to the same thing? And do you see opportunity in the industry? Um, Kim first. So politics aside, um, yes, I think it's already changed. I mean, I think the 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 switch to telehealth has really helped, um, and I think more people are talking about how can we provide care to people in rural communities without making them drive two hours in. Like the fact that we think that somebody who can't afford insurance can then drive an hour and a half for their appointment is is ridiculous. So if we can get specialists to those rural areas through telehealth, you kind of remove some of the social determinants or those barriers just around. Um, you know, kind of what Frank was saying, you know, the things that are really highlighted, um, we see it in who's been affected by COVID. I mean, there's definitely a socioeconomic divide. Um, so I think organizations are figuring out, um, most, most healthcare organizations hemorrhaged a lot of money um, with COVID. So everyone's trying to figure out how to be smarter, you know, kind of reinventing how we do things. So it's, it's an exciting time. I work with a lot of informatics specialists and looking at how we use data to drive our care. So um, I, I think there's lots of opportunity. We've been forced to switch, which is a great thing. I mean, it's things we've been wanting to offer. We've been trying at, at a national level to get programs like exercise for patients who've had heart disease or heart attack, so cardiac rehab, um, reimbursed on like a remote platform so you could do it virtually. And finally, just last week, they approved it, which we thought it would take years for it to be done, which is great. So people don't have to come in to a physical structure and we don't have to have this big building in order to provide care to patients. So I can get my Peloton paid for by Medicare someday? Is that the... <laughs> yes, if Medicare is still around, hopefully. <laughs> hey, same question. Yeah, um, I... 
I, I agree with Kim. I think a lot of times in healthcare, we do things because we've always done it that way. Um, and then if we do do something evidence-based we and we make changes, that change can be very slow in coming. So I think COVID has really forced us to think out of the box in how we provide care to our patients and do it in a way that is still realizing that they're a person um, caring for their mental health, their physical health, their emotional well-being, and looking really at them as a whole, um, but also doing it efficiently. Efficiently, so we're not we're thinking about how much it's going to cost. We're thinking about how much time it's going to take. We're thinking about do they need this or this, and how do we get them to the right specialist? So I think it is. It's it's going to be kind of. I think it's going to be actually really good because we are we are starting to really think outside of the box and look at different avenues of providing healthcare. I hope that's. I hope it's going to go that direction. <laughs> I hear an interesting back. thread between Kate and Kim and Frank that there's an increasing awareness of the need to do wellness more holistically, that when PE teachers are doing social emotional learning, when nurses are helping with cardio rehab, when we put that whole package together, we're probably better off as a society would be my guess. All right, we're down to our last couple of minutes. Any student athletes with questions? I want to leave a little more space just in case anything came up with any of our panelists. This is me trying to be comfortable with silence in a recorded podcast, which is not easy. All right. Hearing none, I must ask panelists, would you be willing to become part of the network for any of the student athletes that participated in tonight's call? And if so, um, can they find you on LinkedIn? That's, that's our normal recommendation for folks. I would like to speak. Um, I would say yes. And also, I have a podcast myself, so they can check me out on LinkedIn. My podcast is there. I can also put my podcast... Um, in the chat it's called mindfully rich so um i would love um if anyone would like to reach out this is you know something that i love doing i love working especially with students i was a cheerleader but i wasn't a cheerleader in um i never would have guessed yes i was a cheerleader and so i was captain and i wanted to talk about the leadership that you do get a chance to show on your teams you can take that into you know your career fields because i always want to be in charge and that's just kind of like a thing that i do because i know what to do so but yes i would love to be a part of the uh, network and so you can reach out to me and i'll put my podcast in the chat cool uh, well, I won't make you all answer that verbally. If you're willing, um, you can either put a yes in the chat or an email address in the chat, or if you're just open to having student athletes connect you, with you via LinkedIn as a result of this conversation or future conversations, we would be grateful. I'll just say yes. It'll save me having to type in a, a yes somewhere. So yes, find me on LinkedIn and uh, send me a message and I can help with any questions or uh, whatever they're trying to do. That's great. Absolutely. And I think the same thing. I think in recent months I've worked with, I think, every single discipline in the hospital. So there's probably about, you know, if you're interested in healthcare, but maybe not um, the nursing or respiratory side, please reach out because we also have lots of connections to connect you. Great. And I heard a yes from Frank. Kate, yeah. you okay if we're uh, connected with you? Terrific. Well, for all the student athletes, I would like to see a visual round of applause and thank you for our panelists for giving us a very quality conversation there. Thank you to Abby for setting up and facilitating the entire thing. With that, we're going to end this special edition virtual Evo World of Work road trip podcast Q&A panel follow-up on this Thursday night. So thank you again, guests. Catch us next week when we return to our normal World of Work podcast on Thursday evenings about the Aggie Evo system. Thanks for listening to the World of Work podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and forward this to a friend. 
The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.